I'm glad that you're here. I'm glad that I'm here. And most of all, I'm glad the Lord's here, aren't you? And without him, we can do nothing. I want you to take your Bible and turn to the book of Philemon. Philemon. In fact, I think tonight we're going to read the entire book. Some of you haven't read your Bible this week, so I'm going to help you get caught up. We'll read an entire book of the New Testament, all right? Uh, they asked me about uh, the uh, college group from Howells Anderson coming on Tuesday night, and I said, well, I want us to have Wednesday night. There'll be a few changes. I mean, I'm just not like everybody else. I'm, I'm not Pastor Perry. I'm not Pastor Holmes. I'm Pastor Bertram, man. <laughs> So uh, I, want, I want you to really, now of course I won't be here this Wednesday night, I have to finish up uh, the college graduation there up in California and get that completed and then I'll, from that point forward, I'll, unless there's some reason that I have to be away, I'll be here every service. And I want you to start making plans, just start adjusting your schedule, your calendar to be here on Wednesday nights. Because we'll be making a few changes and I know that nobody likes change. I don't like change. I like routine. I mean, that's me. I told my wife one time right after we were married, I said, I've got a brilliant idea. I'm going to help her out. I mean, you know, maybe this is why she's excited about going to a marriage conference. I don't know. <laughs> I told her, I said, I've, I've got a brilliant idea. I said, you know, you know at least seven good meals that are like way over the top. I mean, just. So I said, let's do this. Let's just plan a schedule where like, Every Monday, we have meatloaf and mashed potatoes, green beans, corn on the cob. Every Tuesday, we have fried chicken, biscuits, gravy. I said, we could just schedule our meal. That way, I never have to call you and say, what are we having for supper? You never have to say, what are we going to have for supper tonight? What do I have in the cabinet? What do I need to buy when I go to the grocery store? We just do the same thing every week. I said, that'd be great. She looked at me and she said, that's the dumbest idea I ever heard in my life. So for 31 years, I call her just about every day and say, what are we eating for supper tonight? She says, I don't know, I don't know yet. I'm like, well, I don't know either. So I don't know if I need to eat a lot of lunch or cut back on lunch. So I have a lot of extra room. I'm just trying to plan ahead, you know. And uh, so, I, you know, I know how it is. I, I don't like change. I like things the same all the time. Uh, but uh, bad news is change comes whether we like it or not, right? And, um, and so I'm going to be changing a few things. And... But I want you to understand that change is not made just because, you know, well, pastor doesn't like it. That's not the purpose. I mean, if, if that was the case, probably like 99% of the world would change if I had that power to change it just because I don't like it. But it's not because I, it's, it's because there's a reason behind it. There's a thought process behind it. There's a goal that we're trying to achieve. And so rather than just respond instinctively and say, man, I don't like that change. If you'll come on Wednesday nights, I'm going to try to help us understand as a church why we're going the direction we're going, where we're trying to head, what we're trying to accomplish for the glory of God. So I want to encourage you, uh, begin, make, make your plans to be in, in the house of God on, uh, <coughs> on Wednesday nights. <coughs> and of course, Sunday morning, Sunday night as well. And uh, I, I just, I don't know about you, but I love church. I mean, probably if it were up to me, we'd have church seven nights a week. Uh, but I know that'd kill most people. I, I grew up, I mean, I grew up in a radical era and a radical place. We had a tent meeting at our church, started first Sunday in June, went till July the 4th. We met outside under tent. Now, that wasn't a great stretch for us because our church had a dirt floor. We had cinder block walls. 
And uh, our platform was plywood on some cinder blocks. I mean, we were high tech, you know, we were, we were big time. We had, uh, we had uh, a man's outhouse on that side of the property, ladies on that side. And, you know, there wasn't a lot of getting up and going out of church. I mean, when you know you're going to have to fight snakes and spiders and who knows what, that bladder control increases dramatically. We also had beautiful slatted pews, pews that were slats of wood, and uh, those nails were a little loose. And a certain way you would wiggle, the slats would pinch you. So everybody sat really still during church. There wasn't a lot of wiggling around. There wasn't any going in and out, uh, you know. And uh, I mean, I saw the Lord move. So we'd have that tent meeting. So we'd go outside for a tent meeting. The first Sunday in June, go to July the 4th. We had... Sunday, Sunday school, we had Sunday morning, then we'd eat lunch. Then we'd have two preachers Sunday afternoon, then we'd eat leftovers. Then we'd have two preachers Sunday night. Now that's already killed half the congregation. <laughs> then we'd come Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday night, two preachers every night. Then we'd start all over on Sunday. You say, what happened? People got saved. People got right with God. God moved in a marvelous way. I think sometimes our problem is we're in too much of a hurry. We, we, we live in the instant world, don't we? Instapot, McDonald's. I mean, just you buy it on your credit card. Just everything now. We don't have to wait. But the Bible says be still and know that I am God. Wait on the Lord and he'll strengthen thy heart. And, uh, and, and so, you know, I, I'm, I, I love church and I love being in church and I want you to learn to love church. And, and it'll, I tell you, if you can fall, if you can fall in love with Jesus and you can fall in love with the Bible and you fall in love with your fellow Christian, church would be the most wonderful place on planet. Amen. And you can't wait to come. Well, I better get to preaching tonight. That's enough talking. Uh, the epistle to Philemon. If you found your place, if you're physically able, I ask you to stand to your feet as we read our scripture text tonight. I think we'll read the entire book. It's only 25 verses. And uh, so you, you follow along as I read aloud this evening. <coughs> Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ, and Timothy, our brother, and Philemon, our dearly beloved and fellow laborer, to our beloved uh, Appia and Archippus, our fellow soldier, to the, and to the church in thy house, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God, making mention of thee always in my prayers, hearing of thy love and faith, which thou hast toward the Lord Jesus and toward all saints, that the communication of thy faith may become effectual by the acknowledging of every good thing which is in you in, Jesus, in Christ Jesus. For we have great joy and consolation in thy love, because the bowels of the saints are refreshed by thee, brother. Wherefore, though I might be much bold in Christ to enjoin thee that which is convenient, yet for love's sake I rather beseech thee, being such a one as Paul the aged, and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ, I beseech thee for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my bonds, <coughs> which in time past was to thee unprofitable, but now profitable to thee and to me, whom I have sent again. Thou therefore receive him, that is mine own bowels, whom I would have retained with me, that in thy stead he might have ministered unto me in the bonds of the gospel. 
But without thy mind, I would do nothing, that thy benefit should not be as it were of necessity, but willingly. For perhaps he therefore departed for a season, that thou shouldest receive him forever. Not now as a servant, but above a servant. A brother beloved, especially to me, but how much more unto thee, both in the flesh and in the Lord. If thou count me therefore a partner, receive him as myself. If he hath wronged thee or oweth thee aught, put that on mine account. I, Paul, have written it with mine own hand. I will repay it. Albeit I do not say to thee how thou owest unto me even thine own self besides. Yea, brother, let me have joy of thee in the Lord. Refresh my bowels in the Lord. Having confidence in thy obedience, I wrote unto thee, knowing that thou wilt also do more than I say. But withal prepare me also a lodging, for I trust that through your prayers I shall be given unto you. There salute thee, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, Marcus, Aristarchus, Demas, Lucas, my fellow laborers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Our Heavenly Father, tonight we come before you and how our hearts rejoice to be gathered with your people in your house. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity that we have to be here. And Lord, I thank you for the fact that you have given us your word. And tonight you want to speak to us. And I pray that for the next few minutes that you would help us to give you our undivided attention. May we put away memories of yesterday and plans for tomorrow. And may we just simply focus on this moment and the message you have for us. May your perfect will be accomplished in every heart and life. We'll thank you for it. For we ask in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. <coughs> a number of months ago, now it's been, been several years ago, the Lord began to move in my heart to study a portion of the Word of God. Now, I'll be honest with you. Sometimes as preachers, we have to be careful because if we're not careful, we study with the thought in mind, well, I'm studying to preach or I'm studying to teach or I'm studying for some purpose. And it was just like the Lord said to me, I don't want you to study to preach it. I don't want you to study to teach it. I just want you to study something for the sake of studying. Uh, by the way, none of us know everything. And uh, we should always be studying but most importantly, we should be studying the Word of God. So, I, you know, I'm, I, I, I am as spiritual as you are. You're disappointed in that, aren't you? <laughs> and so I told the Lord all the reasons why I didn't have time to study. I mean, I'm teaching college classes. I'm doing this. I have a Sunday school class, uh, 85 people in my Sunday school class. I'm trying to pastor them, and, and I'm doing this, and I'm doing that. Well, you know, the Lord wasn't interested in my schedule. And he just kept telling me, you need to study something. So finally I said, okay, Lord, I'll study something. And I, 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 like I said, I'm as spiritual as you are. And I thought, well, what would be easy to study? <laughs> I mean, I surely don't want to pick Ezekiel or, you know, Jeremiah or something like that. I thought Philemon, it's only 25 verses, right? I mean, I know basically the story. How hard can it be? Uh, you know, a week or so and I'll be finished up and, and I can tell the Lord I studied and I got what I needed to know and, and he'll be happy and I'll be happy and everybody will be happy and it'll be a wonderful world. So I started studying. And little did I know that that embarked me on a multi-year journey through these 25 verses. Now, don't panic. I'm not going to tell you everything I learned tonight. <laughs> I, I, I may not be good, but I sure am slow. All right? So I, I, I just, I, the more I dug, the more I uncovered. And uh, as, as I began to study, I began to see some things I'd never considered before. 
And tonight, I just, I just want to give you an overview. We're not going to dig into deep depths. I'm just going to skip over the tops of the waves. And hopefully my desire is to help you see what a wonderful book the Word of God is. And more important than that, what a wonderful Savior we have. I want you to notice, first of all, number one, if you're taking notes, I want you to notice the context of this book. Any scripture has certain important truths which are not only, uh, that are only truly evident when you consider them in the context in which they are found. Now this epistle is the last of the New Testament letters that bear Paul's signature. From Romans to Philemon, every one of the New Testament epistles have the signature of the Apostle Paul clearly affixed to them. Now we can debate the question of whether Paul is the author of the book of Hebrews or not, and maybe we'll get into that sometime. But the rest of these epistles from Romans all the way through Philemon, every one of these epistles are clearly identified as having been written by the Apostle Paul. Now we take these church epistles and we can divide them or we take these Pauline epistles and we can divide them into three groups. Number one, we have the epistles to the churches. From Romans all the way through 2 Thessalonians, every one of these letters was written to a church. By the way, the Lord is interested in the church. He's interested in our church. And by the way, if he's interested in our church, should we not be interested in our church? If he's concerned about our church, should we not have a concern about our church? If he thinks enough about the church to write letters to churches, should we not vest ourselves with great interest and enthusiasm in the work of God called the local church? Now we can take these church epistles and we can divide them into three categories. Now notice how they fall out. I'm just telling you the order in which they're found in our New Testament. First of all, the first three letters are letters about Christ and his cross. Romans and 1st and 2nd Corinthians deal primarily with the message of Christ and the cross. By the way, that's where it begins. At the cross, at the cross where I first saw the light and the burden of my heart rolled away. You are saved when you come to the realization that it is the death of Christ on the cross that is the payment for your sin. And if you've never been to the cross, you haven't even got to first base yet. You haven't even begun. And every one of us need to make sure that we have come to the cross and met the Lord Jesus Christ Amen. as our Savior. Well, there's letters about Christ and his cross. And then those are followed by letters about Christ and his church. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Now, isn't that interesting how that order falls? Because here's what happens. The first thing that happens when a person gets to the cross and they get born again, they understand the need to find a local church and attach themselves to it. I don't have much confidence in a person that says I'm born again, but they can't make it to church. Why? Because if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. I don't expect the unsaved to come to church, but I do expect the child of God to come to church. If Christ loved the church and gave himself for it, certainly we should love the church and give ourselves to it. So it begins with Christ and his cross. It continues with Christ and his church. And then the last two letters, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, they are letters about Christ and his coming. Now notice, here's how it happens. You go to the cross and you're born again. 
Then you find your way to the local church and you begin to get invested in the local church. You begin to study and read the word of God. And all of a sudden you're consumed by the idea that Jesus is coming again. And I must live my life in such a way so that when he comes, I'll be ready to stand before him and hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. So we have the letters to the churches. Then not only are there the epistles to the churches, there are the epistles to the clergy. First and second Timothy and Titus are letters that Paul writes to men, young men who are entering the ministry. And Paul is going to write to them about what it means to be a minister. What are the qualifications for a minister? What are the expectations? What are the responsibilities? How do you conduct yourself as a man of God? And then finally we come to this little epistle called Philemon. It is an epistle to a companion. You see, while the church epistles are primarily doctrinal and the clergy epistles are primarily pastoral, this epistle is fraternal. It is the most intimate of all of Paul's letters. It is a personal letter from one man to his friend. And all we see some things in this letter that we see in no other letter. Now, by the way, each of these epistles, each of these groups have a special purpose. The church epistles teach us how to live. And can I say, unless you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you have not yet begun to live. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, you're dead in trespasses and in sins. Oh, but Jesus Christ came and he said, this is the reason I came. I came that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. There is nothing like the Christian life. There is nothing as wonderful as the Christian life. It is the best life. It is the greatest life. It is the happiest life. It is the most wonderful life. It is the most rewarding life. And if you've never tried the Christian life, I want to invite you to try it tonight. Well, they teach us how to live. Then the clergy epistles teach us how to lead. And every pastor, every man of God needs to know how to lead the people of God and the work of God. But then this letter to a companion, it teaches us how to love. Could I say we spend a lot of time on how to live and how to lead. But if we're not careful, we forget about learning how to love. They asked Jesus, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. The second is like unto it, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. The truth of it is, Jesus said in 1 John chapter 4 and verse number 8, He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. Now let's ask ourselves the question very quickly. Could someone look at me and say they know God? Well, not if I'm not filled with love. I think sometimes that's why we avoid the Bible. Because it speaks too plainly. It hits too close to home. I mean, we're filled with self-righteousness, we're filled with anger, we're filled with anxiety, we're filled with a lot of things. But the question is, are we filled with love? The fruit of the Spirit is love. 
And then the other things follow. Joy, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. There abideth faith, hope, and charity, but the greatest of these is charity. And this little epistle is so important because it teaches us how to love. Well, we have the context of this book. Now, I want you to notice something else of this book by way of introduction. I told you I'm just giving you the highlights tonight. I want you to think with me about the characters of this book. Let's consider the characters of this book. You know, in this little book, 25 verses, Paul lists the names of 11 different individuals. 11 individuals in 25 verses seems like all Paul is talking about is people. By the way, you know that's what love is about? Love is about people. You don't love things. You don't love objects. You don't love stuff. You love people. And by the way, people are the hardest thing to love. Why? Because many times, let's be honest, we're very unlovely. And sometimes we make ourselves very unlovable. But guess what? We have to love one another anyway. And Paul is writing this letter to teach about love. And in this letter teaching about love, Paul focuses on people. Could I just say, I want to encourage you. I'm going to tell you, it's hard to be angry at somebody that you pray for. It's hard to be bitter against somebody that you pray for. It's hard to run down somebody that you pray for. So here's what I want to challenge you to do. Every member of Mountain Vista Baptist Church, you ought to get a church directory and you ought to pray for every church member every week by name. I mean, just start, Pastor Bertram. You know, he's a sorry rascal. You know, he's, he gets on my nerves. You know, he rambles. He chases rabbits. Lord, just help that guy. And you'll be amazed at how you'd start to fall in love with me. You say, I don't think it's... Try it. <laughs> Chicken. <laughs> By the way, I've looked at some of you, and guess what I've done? I've got a list of the members of Mountain Vista Baptist Church. And you know what? Despite my best efforts, I'm falling in love with you. Why? Because I've been praying for you. And I've been trying to match a face with a name. And I know that some of you have faced heartaches and sorrows. Some of you have uncertain futures. You don't know what direction the Lord is leading and I'm just going through the list and I'm saying, Lord, brother so-and-so, sister so-and-so, just give them wisdom, help them, encourage them, build them up. And you know what that prayer has begun to do? Begun to knit my heart with your heart. And when I hear you hurt, guess what happens? I hurt. When I hear something happy happens in your life and you're rejoicing, guess what happens? I begin to rejoice. I want to say love will bind us together and love is about people. But although Paul talks about 11 people, mentions 11 people, really the story of this book revolves around three major characters. Now I want you to think about it. First of all in this story, there is what I call the defrauded man. Now the defrauded man is this man who the letter is written to, this man by the name of Philemon. Philemon is a Gentile convert. He is not a Jew, he is a Gentile, and he has been born again by the grace of God. Evidently, he was led to the Lord by the Apostle Paul. That's what bound their hearts together. So he is a Gentile convert. Evidently, Philemon is a man of some wealth. He is wealthy enough to have a house that's big enough for the entire church to meet in. 
Not only that, he is wealthy enough to be the owner, the possessor of servants. He has people who serve him and labor on his behalf. So he is a man of some wealth and he is a leader in the local church. I kind of like Philemon, don't you? The fact that he's born again, that makes me like him. The fact that he's got money, that makes me like him. The fact that he's a leader in the church, he's not a stuffed shirt. He's not saying, well, I'm too good for those people. But rather, he's taking his wealth and he's invested it in the work of the Lord. I say, I like Philemon. Now, here's the problem. He's been done wrong. He's been defrauded. He has a servant by the name of Onesimus. And Onesimus, we don't know exactly how it's all played out, but I imagine it. I told you I have a vivid imagination. I don't just read words on paper. I paint pictures in my head. I mean, it becomes a, you know, a living movie for me. I can see Paul has been incarcerated in prison. Now Philemon is a man of wealth and he hears about Paul. Paul is the one who led him to Christ. He has an attachment to Paul. He says Paul is in prison. Paul will have needs. Paul will need uh, something warm to wear in the winter. Paul will need money to purchase food to eat. Paul will need uh, uh, perhaps uh, money to buy parchments so he can write letters to the churches. And, and, uh, and so what I need to do is I need to send some money to help Paul out in his time of need. So he calls his most trusted servant. He says, Onesimus, here's what I want you to do. I'm gonna give you this money and I want you to travel all the way to where Paul, Paul is incarcerated. <coughs> I want you to take this money and I want you to give it to Paul to help meet his needs. Now that sounds wonderful, doesn't it? Onesimus says, all right, master, I'll do that. He takes the money and he starts down the road. Onesimus, his pocket is heavy. He's never held this much money before. I mean, it feels kind of good. Maybe he stops in a shaded place and he takes it out and he lines it all up. Wow, it's still all there. Look at that. Isn't that awesome? Look at all those gold coins stacked up. Man, I wish I, could, I wish I could just have one stack for mine. Well, he puts it back in the sack and he makes a little bit more of his journey. And he comes to a place where there's some guys by the side of the road doing a little gambling. And here's what he thinks. I mean, I'm just going to watch. And he guesses right what the dies come up on. And he says, I'll watch again. And he guesses right again. And he says, guess what? If I had put some of this money down, I would be ahead. So here's what I'm going to do. I'll take a little bit of this money and I'll put it down and I'll win. And then what I win will be mine. And he puts some money down. But you know how the story goes, don't you? He loses. Oh, no. Now what am I going to do? Well, you know, double or nothing, I've got to get it back. Make a long story short, it all disappears. Now here is Onesimus. He has defrauded Philemon of what was his and what he intended to happen with it. So what about Onesimus? Philemon is the defrauded one. Onesimus is the defrauding one. I mean, he's taken that which was not rightfully his. He has used it for his own ends and squandered and wasted the possessions of another. I mean, he is a slave socially. He is a thief morally. He is now an outlaw legally and he's under condemnation justly. And by the way, we can identify with both these guys, can we not? 
I mean, can we not we identify with Philemon? Have you never been done wrong? If it's, nobody's ever done you wrong in your life, if you have never been cheated, if you have never been mistreated, if you have never been done wrong, I want to meet you after service and shake your hand. I mean, I don't know. I may be able to introduce you to somebody that can let you have that experience. I mean, I don't want your education to be defrauded. I don't want you to come up short. And we've all been done wrong. And we know the feeling and the anger that rises up in us and the bitterness that it causes when somebody has taken advantage of us and done us wrong. Oh, but before we get too self-righteous, we also know what it means to be the defrauding one, don't we? Much as we try to blot it out of our mind and soothe our conscience, every one of us know that there's been a point in time in our life somewhere at some time that we took advantage of somebody else. We squandered something that they trusted us with. We, did, we took something, maybe they trusted us with a secret. And we went and told. Maybe they trusted us with some money and we misused it. We can identify with both parties. You know, when we're Philemon, it's easy to be very indignant, isn't it? But when we're Onesimus, we want pity, don't we? Okay, now we have these two. We have the defrauded man and the defrauding man. They're separated from one another. The crime has come, the wrong has come between them. And here comes the Apostle Paul on the scene. He is the third man. <coughs> you say, who is the Apostle Paul? The Apostle Paul is the days man. You say, what is a days man? That's what Job talked about over there in the book of Job. He said, oh, that there might be a days man betwixt us. Talking about Job and God. A daysman was this kind of person. We would call in modern terminology, we call him a mediator. Here's what a daysman would do. A daysman would find two people who once were together and had somehow come separated because of something that had come between them. And his goal was to bring about reconciliation. So here's what he would do. He would try to reach out to this man and get him. He, perhaps he'd say, well, you know, what if they were willing to do this? What if they would just, just confess? What if they would apologize? What, what if they would pay the money back? What if they, he'd get them to agree with something. He'd say, okay, take my hand on that. And then his goal was to go to this other party and say, now, here's what they've said. They said, if you will apologize, or if you will pay some of the money back, or if you'll make full restitution, or if you'll just acknowledge, then, then they'll accept, will you agree to that? I'll, I'll agree. So his God, job was to take people by both hands and pull back together that which had been alienated one from the other. That's exactly what Paul is doing in this letter. Now, you can see the picture, can't you? I mean, the defrauded man is a picture of God the Father. You know why? Because God the Father has been done wrong. You say who did him wrong? Every one of us. Every man, woman, boy, and girl who has ever lived. 
God entrusted us with life. God entrusted us with breath. God entrusted us with this body in which we live. And it was given to us for the purpose of bringing honor and glory to him. And just like Onesimus defrauded Philemon by taking what was not his, but what had been entrusted to him and using it for his own purposes, we did the same with God the Father. We are the defrauding men. We took our own life and we said, it's my life, I'll do what I want to with it. I'll live how I want to. I'll talk how I want to. I'll dress how I want to. I'll go where I want to. And we have stolen from God that which had been entrusted to us. Oh, but out of the scene of eternity stepped Jesus Christ, the divine daysman. And here's what he did. He stretched out a hand to God the Father and he stretches out a hand to fallen man. And he says, here's what I want to do. I want to reconcile you one to another. He said, Father, what would it take? What would it cost? And God the Father said, the wages of sin is death. The soul that sinneth, it must die. And he said, Father, if I pay the debt, would that be satisfactory? God said, I could take that hand. And he reaches down to you and me. And he says, I paid the debt for you. God the Father says, if you'll just take my hand, he'll consider the debt settled. And in Christ on the cross, we have been reconciled unto God. Amen. Oh man, I got to that point. I ran a couple laps around the house. I shouted a time or two. That's why I like it to be quiet. Nobody around when I study because I get a little crazy every once in a while. <laughs> I try to maintain my dignity in public, but every once in a while by myself, I just lose it. And I came back and I read again. It was just as good the second time as it was the first time. I came back, read again the third time. It was just as good. And then I realized there's something missing. You know what's missing in this story? I mean, we've got God the Father. We've got God the Son. We've got the sinner. But where in the world is the Holy Spirit? Do you ever ask yourself crazy questions like that? My wife says, your mind doesn't work like normal people. I said, well, because that's, that's not normal. That's why it doesn't work that way. I don't know if I'm sub or ab, but I'm just not normal. I may be subnormal. I may be abnormal. I don't know what it is. I'm just not normal. And I, I, so I thought, well, I missed it somewhere. So I read again. I thought, well, I, I probably just missed it the second time. And I read again. I read this epistle probably 25, 30 times looking for the Holy Spirit, and I couldn't find him. And it stressed me out. I mean, I got distressed because now the picture's incomplete because salvation requires God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, and the sinner. And I got God the Father, I got God the Son, and, and, and I've got the sinner, but I can't find the Spirit. And then I was reminded. I was reminded of what Jesus said about the Holy Spirit in John, I think it's chapter 16. He said, when the, I'm, I'm gonna send you another cover. And he says this, he says, he shall not speak of himself, but he shall testify of me. I thought, well, that's why he's not in there. He's not talking about himself. But you know what? I kept looking and I found him. He's just not in Philemon. He's back a couple pages, Colossians chapter four. Colossians chapter four. See, we haven't even got to verse one yet. I'm just meandering around on introductory material. I told you I'm not gonna cover the whole book. I'm just gonna give you an overview. I mean, you know, we, we could be here for months <laughs> if you're a slow learner as I am. Now, now, he's not mentioned in, in Philemon, this, this man who pictures the Holy Spirit, but he's mentioned in Colossians, Colossians chapter four. 
Now, I want to read you a couple of verses. Colossians chapter 4. Who's writing Colossians? Paul. So he's telling his story. He says in chapter 4, verse number 7, All my state shall Tychicus declare unto you, who is a beloved brother, a faithful minister, and fellow servant in the Lord, whom I have sent unto you for the same purpose, that he might know your estate and comfort your hearts. Look at verse number 9. With Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you. Now, what is the Holy Spirit's job? The Holy Spirit's job is to magnify Christ. Who pictures Christ in this story? Paul pictures Christ. He said, all my state. He said, when Tychicus shows up, he's going to tell you about me. By the way, when the Holy Spirit shows up, he's going to tell us about Jesus. He's not going to be talking about the Holy Spirit. He's going to be talking about Christ. And then notice what he said. He said, uh, I have sent him unto you for the same purpose that he might know your state and comfort your hearts. Is that not the ministry of the Holy Spirit? To comfort our hearts? He's called the comforter. And by the way, guess who the Holy Spirit is traveling with? Onesimus. So now we have the defrauded man. We have the defrauding man. We have the daysman. And we have the dispatched man. We have a man who has been dispatched. He has been sent on a mission to accompany Onesimus. I can picture it in my mind. Paul, somehow or another, I believe, <coughs> I believe that Onesimus finally got to where the apostle Paul was and made a confession. He said, Paul, I hate to tell you this. I don't know how to say it. I feel so horrible. I feel so bad. I, I just don't know. I, I, I was sitting here with some money and I wound up squandering. I wound up wasting. I have nothing to give you. I don't know what I'm going to do. Paul says this. Paul says, I tell you what you need. You need to get saved. That's what you need to do. By the way, that's the first step in getting a solution to your problem. You say, well, this is my, well, the first problem you have is that you're lost and on your way to hell. And if you get saved, the other problem will begin to fall in place and it'll begin to get straightened out. And so Paul leads Onesimus to Christ. And then Paul says this. Paul says, now here's what you have to do. If you're going to get right, you're going to have to go back and you're going to have to face the person you wronged. You're going to have to acknowledge that you were wrong. Oh, we hate that, don't we? We like to cover up. We like to avoid. We like to pretend like it never happened. But here's what God says. You do somebody wrong, you got to go to them and make it right. And Paul says, now, Onesimus, you're going to have to go back and you're going to have to tell Philemon what you've done. Now, remember the culture in which they live. This is, this is the Roman era. Under Roman law, a slave could ultimately be put to death for theft. He could have his hand cut off. He could be beaten. Onesimus has probably seen other slaves experience this from their masters. And now Paul says, now you've got to go back and you've got to tell your master what you've done. And I could see Onesimus say, Paul, I can't do that. I cannot do that. I don't know what will happen. I mean, I might, I might be beaten. Oh, you know Philemon's, I know, but nobody has ever stolen from him before. I, I saw this happen to so-and-so, and I saw this happen to so-and-so. I can't do it. Paul says this. Paul says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to write a letter. And I want you to see what I'm going to write in this letter. And notice what Paul writes. Paul says in verse 18, if he hath wronged thee, or oweth thee aught, put that on mine account. 
I, Paul, have written it with my own hand. I will repay it. He says, Old Testament, you see what I've written. Now here's what we're going to do. I'm going to fold this letter up. I'm going to put a seal on it. I'm going to put it in your pocket. You go to Philemon. You tell him what you've done and you give him the letter. And Esmond said, I don't know. I don't know, Paul. I don't know if I can do this. Paul said, you can. Paul gets to thinking about it and he thinks, you know, I'm not sure. If he gets out of my sight, he might chicken out. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to send somebody with him. I'm going to take Tychicus. And I'm going to make Tychicus his companion. I'm going to tell Tychicus, now, here's what you do. Every time Onesimus begins to drag his feet and say, I can't do this. You just call time out on the journey. You say, now, Tychicus, here's what I want you to do. I want you to pull out your letter. I want you to read what it says. And then if you don't think you can do it, we'll quit. And old, Tiki, old Onesimus pulls out that letter. And it says, if he hath wronged thee or oweth thee all, put that on mine account. He says, ah, oh, Paul's going to take my place. Paul's going to pay my debt for me. I guess I can go. You know, that's exactly what the Holy Spirit and God has done for us. Amen. God has saved us. Have you ever failed and messed up and you just thought, I don't know if I can go on. I, I just don't know if God would accept me anymore. I've been such a bad person. And the Holy Spirit says, take your letter out. Read what it says. I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish. If we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And guess what we say? Well, I think I can go on again. I think I can pick up the pieces. I think I'll try again. I got to thinking about that. I wrote these words down. As Onesimus did travel back to the place called home. How the questions must have swirled and the doubts they must have grown. He had stolen and had fled. He had done oh so much sin. How could he be forgiven and accepted once again? When the doubts and fears assailed as he traveled on the way, the one who journeyed with him would simply turn to him and say, read the letter in your pocket. Tell me what it says once more. Has the message it been changed? Is it the same as twas before? As he opened up the message, he would read each word in line and his heart would find assurance as he read it one more time. Whatever this man has done, put it all on my account. No matter what the deed no matter the amount. I will pay it all in full. Just transfer his debt, you see. When he does arrive, receive him as you would greet me. Friend, I must confess as I make my journey home, sometimes the questions swirl. The doubts and fears have grown. I've stumbled and I've fallen. I've done all oh so much sin. How can I be forgiven and accepted once again? But when the doubts assail, as I travel on my way, I can hear the Holy Spirit quietly turn to me and say, read your letter called the Bible. Tell me what it says once more. Has the message it been changed? Is it the same as it was before? And as I open up my Bible and I read each word in line, my heart takes reassurance 
As I read it one more time, whatever this man has done, put it all on my account. No matter what the deed, no matter the amount. Every wrong this man committed, it was all transferred to me. And I paid his debt in full on the cross of Calvary. You see, it's the letter in my pocket that doth my hope restore. That gives peace and reassurance as I read it just once more. When my life is ended and I reach that glad eternal day, twill be the letter in my pocket that sustained me on the way. Oh, can I say? We got a wonderful letter that gives us hope that Jesus Christ took our place. Well, my time is gone. I haven't even got through my introduction yet. I'll tell you, the Bible is the most wonderful book on planet earth because it speaks to the needs of men. It tells you about your condition, but it gives you the solution. You may be here tonight and you do not know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Could I say, according to the letter, Christ says, I paid your debt at Calvary. Amen. If you'll come and say, God, I'm a sinner. And I, I beg of you to save me for Jesus' sake. The Bible promises this. He said, he that cometh unto me, I will in no wise cast out. You have a 100% guarantee that you'll be accepted tonight if you would come. And dear Christian friend, you may be here. You say, I, you know, I remember when I was saved. But you know, I haven't been a very good Christian. Truth of it is, none of us are very good Christians. We're good sinners, but we're not very good Christians, are we? But oh, I'm glad that if we confess our sin, He is faithful. Though we've been unfaithful, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Could I say tonight, you could come and kneel at an altar, make your heart right with God, and you could walk out of here without a burden that you walked in with. I, I trust tonight... Wouldn't it have been a terrible thing had Onesimus said, no, Paul, I'm not going home. Paul said, I'll take care of everything. Onesimus said, no way. That's what you do when you reject Christ. He offered his life's blood for our redemption. And when we say no, we reject the greatest gift that has ever been offered. What about you tonight? Are you ready to meet him? Have your sins been confessed? Do you know you're on your way to heaven? And are you right with God? If not, why not make yourself right tonight to the blood of Jesus Christ? With our heads bowed and eyes closed this evening, every head bowed, every eye closed, I wonder tonight how many people would be here and you'd say, Brother Bertram, would you pray for me tonight? <coughs> Holy Spirit spoke to my heart. Maybe you hear you're unsaved. Maybe you here as a Christian. You say there's been something in my life that I've been struggling with somewhere. I've messed up something I've done wrong. You say, tonight, the Holy Spirit, just put his finger on it. I want to get that right, and I want to live for God. Pray for me that I'll make it right, whatever it is, and I'll, I'll, I'll confess, I'll forsake, and I'll move on for the glory of God. You say, God spoke to my heart in a special way tonight. Would you pray for me, preacher? Would you slip up your hand, put it right back down? Say, God, see those hands all over the room. Let's stand to our feet with our heads bowed, eyes closed. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you for the blessing of the Word of God. Thank you for the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanseth us from all sin. 
Lord, if we say we have no sin, we lie and do not the truth. Lord, we know that we've all come short. We've all failed. Lord, I pray that tonight you'd help us to do our best to close our accounts with you, to confess our sin, to forsake it, then to go forth from this place to be a testimony of light in a dark world. For those who lifted their hand, you know every heart, I pray that you would speak to them, that you would meet the need of their life. We'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.